Well, I understand that if you have the right tool, there is no job you can't accomplish. Now, my toolbox here looks suspiciously like a tackle box because I don't do a lot of work or a lot of fishing. It's a good combo. It suits all my needs. Now, I don't know what you keep in your toolbox, but I didn't get to load mine completely to bring it all. I just want to walk through with you what I keep in mind. I have two screwdrivers. One is a flathead screwdriver, and the other is a Phillips screwdriver. Mine are not electrified or battery-powered. I still do it the old-fashioned way. I also have a hammer, which is a very effective at killing bugs around my house because I don't have a fly swatter or a bug killer. I also have a flashlight. It's, it's good when the power goes out. The only problem is I don't have any batteries in it, and so it is somewhat ineffective. I also have three rolls of duct tape. They have been used once when Tyler was eight years old and I taped his mouth shut. I did remove it after a while. Also have some WD-40, which uh, is good for swimmer's ear, I've found, uh, if you will use it often. And finally, and I'm not going to tell who gave me this, but I have some dip, some skull. Now, I've never dipped it. You know, I, my grandmother did. I've told you about that. Actually, it was my great-grandmother, and I had to kiss her, and I didn't like it, so I've never dipped. But I have found if you get stung by a bee, if you wet some of that on you, it'll go away. Now, that's what I know about tools. But what I know about church tools is this. Every single one of us in the spiritual realm have one tool that is available to us universally. One tool that can bless our lives and other people's lives immensely. One tool that can encourage us, that can strengthen us, that can make us more powerful than we ever thought we could be. And that tool is the tool of prayer. Now, many, many times when we have talked together about prayer, we've talked talked a lot about personal prayer about an intimate time between you and God. Matter of fact, just a few weeks ago, we finished the series, The Circle Maker. And in that series, we talked about praying intensely for things that only God could do, that you're going to go in a circle, and you're going to pray, and you're going to pray, and you're not going to stop until God responds to your request. And, 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 and we talked about things that need to happen around our church. We talked about seeing 100 people come to Christ over the next year. We, we, we talked about praying for our debt uh, and, and, and the campaign that we're going to begin uh, to dwindle that debt down to nothing. We talked about catching up with our budget. And, and I trust that you're praying about those things and other things in relationship to the church. But the tool that we're going to talk about today is very simply not praying personal prayers of confession and thanksgiving, although they ought to be a part of your prayer life, 
but it's praying for other people. And uh, praying for leaders, especially. Uh, I, I think about our political leaders, and you know what? I've heard one side grumble for eight years, and another side grumble now for six years. And we hate the guy who's in office, and now we hate the guy who's in office. The guy who's in office is a crook. He's a criminal. I hate health insurance. I, you know, I mean, I've heard that. You know, I didn't like health insurance from the very beginning, by the way. I always thought that was robbery. And, and, and so what I've come to wonder, no matter who's in office, if we spent the same amount of time praying for that person as we do critiquing that person, how much better would we be personally? Now, when I talk about leaders, the only frame of context that, that I have, because I, I've never worked in a corporation, uh, I've never been a teacher, so I've never had to pray for the principal, uh, except for Gene a time or two, uh, is inside the church. And so when I talk in the context of praying for leaders, uh, this for me is going to be a very personal message because I'm going to talk about how prayer has affected my life as your pastor and as my, my life as, your, as a pastor before I ever got here. And what I see in the lives of other people in the congregation. So I admit from the very beginning that this is somewhat of a selfish sermon, but it has to be in order for me to make clear what, what I see happening in the lives of people who lift up those in authority or in leadership who uh, pray for them or who determine to criticize them. And I see what happens in the lives of leaders who've been prayed for. And what they're able to do with the strength that prayer coverage gives them, what they're able to accomplish in our context for the glory of God. I want to begin by reading a passage of Scripture in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that talks about this tool of prayer. Now, every one of these passages that we're going to look at today were written by the Apostle Paul. And over and over again, you will see in specific places, in specific times, the Apostle Paul asking for prayer. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. But we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from such a great death, and does deliver us in whom we trust, that he might still, or will still, deliver us. You're helping together in prayer for us. That's the secret that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. First thing I want you to write down is prayer is the tool that God has given us to strengthen, to bless, to encourage, to undergird, to be foundational in one another's lives. And when we pray, we access God's power 
You understand that what we do specifically in the church, none of it could be done without the power of God. We access God's power and God's forgiveness. I, uh, just walking in today, had several people say to me, would you pray for this with me? Would you pray for that? Because we understand God's power. Spoke with Dina Henry. She was at a football game last night, which Kentucky seemed to win by some miracle. But right at the end of the game, in the middle of the hubbub, a guy fell from the upper section of the stands right in front of her and her family. Pray for that guy. You see, the greatest tool in our toolbox, or her tackle box, or whatever you want to call it, is the ability to call the power of heaven down on any situation. The ability for God to move in into our lives and forgive those who are broken, minister to those who are broken. I I guarantee you there's a testimony on every pew this morning of of you being prayed for. You being sick and prayed for. You struggling in life and being prayed for. Uh, An issue bigger than you and you being prayed for. Uh, A decision that was difficult to make and, and you being prayed for. And so when the Apostle Paul writes these words, going into places as a missionary where his life was at stake, where danger was around every corner, he's crying out uh, here to the church at Corinth, his brothers and sisters, to pray for him. Prayer needs to be especially powerful. We need to especially pray for those who are in leadership positions. You know, every Sunday morning you ought to wake up and you ought to pray for your church staff. Because every Sunday morning and all throughout the week, we encounter difficult situations. We encounter lots of hurt. We encounter lots of burdens and struggles and worries. Pretty easy to internalize those sometimes. Jeff stands in front of 50, 60 youth every Wednesday night and shares the gospel many times to kids who may only come once or twice with a friend and who may not know the Lord. Beth is downstairs right now with children and her staff, and they're talking to children right now, I guarantee it, about Jesus. Kent stands back here, and let's just, let me have a secret time with you guys. I think he left. Do you know he gets nervous? Kind of frets and worries and and, and just wants everything to be so perfect. And every week I see him just fret and pray and struggle to make sure that things are exactly right. I see Chris do the same things. I, we could move down and we could talk about Sunday school teachers, Bible study, small group leaders who are right now sharing the truth of the gospel. Every single one of them, just as we are, is doing battle with Satan because every time the message of God goes out, every time leaders in your, in your church get busy for God, Satan gets busy as well. He gets busy. In your own life, even if you're not in a leadership position in the church, have you felt God 
pull and, and, and you determined, you know, I want to do this for God. I, I, I want to make sure that this happens and I'm going to go see this person, visit this person, take somebody a casserole. I like casseroles, by the way. I don't know what's in them, but I like them. I mean, when anything you try to do something good, doesn't the devil go to work in your life? Amen. I ran across these statistics the other day, and they were kind of shocking. These are, are difficult times for vocational ministers, for pastors. We should have listened to these statistics. 13% of pastors have divorced in the last five years because of the onslaught in their family. 20% of pastors' marriages are on the rocks. They're in counseling or need to be. of pastors have been fired in the last 10 years. 25% of pastors don't know where to turn to with an issue. They don't know how to find help. 28% of pastors declare that they don't have enough time for their wives and their children, and they are resented as a result of that. 33% of pastors say that being a pastor in a church is a hazard to their family. Forty percent of pastors claim to suffer from burnout. Forty-five percent of pastors suffer from unreasonable expectations within their congregation. Forty-eight percent of pastors are depressed. Fifty percent feel inadequate. 52% say that they have no close friends, or their wives have no close friends. 52% of pastors' wives. If I ever get one of those, I'll I'll ask her about that. 57% say they would quit today if there was anything else they could do. 70% of pastors say they have no close friends. 80% of pastors say there's insufficient time in their week to do the things that they need to do, and they claim to work over 60 hours a week. 90% of pastors say that on a weekly basis they feel unqualified for what God has called them to do. Every month, 1,500 pastors, let me say that again, 1,500 pastors, in America, give up the ministry. 1,500 pastors. And pastors have now joined doctors and lawyers, the professional world, as those who are most susceptible to drugs, alcohol, and suicide. Now, I don't know what you call that, but I call that a satanic attack. I think that the devil hates every time the word is preached. I think the devil does anything and everything that he can possibly do to tear down the church at every level. Every level. I I didn't read this statistic and it didn't show up anywhere, but I believe it because I know it to be true. At least 50% of pastors are pretty stupid at times, too, right? I thought I'd get an amen on that. 
And it just happens. Praying for your leaders is biblical. Here's a passage of scripture that tells us that. Paul writes to Timothy, Therefore I exhort you, who was a pastor as well, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks, every way you can pray, be made to all men. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. This is a good and acceptable thing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Praying for your leaders is biblical. Over and over again, and it's specifically here in the Scripture, not only does Paul talk about that, but Jesus asked for prayer coverage. Over and over again, the men, the women in the Bible who were in places of leadership, critical places in the church, sought out prayer covering. And the Bible instructs us. It is a good thing to pray for your leaders. Pleases God. Amen? When you pray for me, remember I said I was going to personalize this? It pleases God. And, and here's what I think happens. No matter what the leader is in any given situation, whether it's a political leader, whether it's your boss at work, whether it's in the context of church, whether it's uh, uh, right here in Burlington, we pray for those in these courthouses who take our parking spots, who are doing things to govern our county. I think it has a trickle-down effect, don't you? I think praying for leaders brings blessings back to us. You know, if we would all join together in prayer for President Obama, and we prayed so hard that he really indeed started listening to God, wouldn't it be a blessing to us? Amen? I think so. And I see that happening over and over and over and over again in the church. God loves it when his children care for each other, doesn't he? You know, that's not an you know, uh, earth-shattering, shocking bit of information, is it? Anybody here a parent? Sorry. I uh, have four kids, two of which are like months apart. Like Amanda was born, and while we were still upset that we had one, we found out we were going to have another one. Uh, it, you know, it was one of those deals. So Amanda and John Totter are really, really close to each other in age, and they have completely opposite personalities. I don't know which one's good, which one's bad. That's not for me to say. Just different. And from the moment that they realized they had a brother and a sister, they fought. And they fought. And they called names. And they pulled hair. And they said terrible, 
terrible things to each other. I'm trying to remember. They were way too old for this. It's not been three or four years ago. Neither one of them had gotten married and found somebody new to fight with by that point. And, and we're on vacation, and they literally get into a brawl in, in, in a condo. I mean, they were so big, I couldn't get between them anymore. I wanted them to get hurt worse than me. But you know what started to happen now? When she's down and in trouble, he's there. And you know what that made me feel, how that made me feel? To finally see harmony. God feels the same way about his people. When, when we care for each other, when we minister to each other, when we pray for each other, God loves that. He smiles when he sees the, the depth of our concern for each other in his life. Prayer also is the key that unlocks doors. I'm going to ask you to pray a very specific prayer from now to eternity comes for you. For your leaders in this church, for pastors and staff members and deacons and Sunday school or Bible study. We don't have Sunday school anymore, and I keep saying that. We have Bible study now because we're newfangled. Got that? Good. Pray for these people that God would unlock doors of ministry for them. You know, we have a multitude of ministries in these church in this church. I've talked about how we have ministries to every age group. I've, I've talked about how we're in the hospitals and nursing homes, and, and there, there are deacons and, and, and others in this church who have made it their life's work to minister to people. And and I've seen over the last three years, Ken Ford became our deacon chairman, and he wouldn't let people be deacons and not work. It's been crazy. And every day, we get a chance to make a difference in people's lives. And I want you to continue to pray that God unlocks doors. You know, I've seen things happen in this church that I would have never imagined happen. I've seen people who God, who've been prayed for, who who, who we've called upon heaven to see them saved. And and one man came after 50 years or 60 years of of people praying for him. I've seen others like that. I've seen adults who've come to Christ lately who've said to me, I would have never thought this would have happened in my life. And, and, And all of a sudden, it just, my heart opened, and I, I finally got what I needed to do. And I don't even know why I'm here, but I just know I need to be baptized and saved. And I said, I know why you're here. Because people have been praying for you. Every day, would you pray that there are mysterious, unbelievable, unprecedented opportunities of ministry?
that every door of ministry, that every hurting person, that every broken, lost individual, that we would find a way in this community into their lives. Would you pray for open doors? Prayer also empowers preaching. Now let's talk about this for a minute. Because when you're up here and looking out there and even up in the balcony, sometimes I look left more than I do right, I, I, I notice three or four different things happen. Some of you are engrossed in what I have to say. You're praying. You're, 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 you're asking God to put words in my mouth that are better than the ones I've been using, I think. You know, you're, you're right there with me. We're, we're in touch. Others of you are listening. Mm, you might check your phone every so often. You know, just you know, check the time. How long is this going to be? You know, but, you know, you hear a part of it. Others of you, you're not engaged at all. You know, you're here, but your mind's out there somewhere. Or you're here, and you're thinking... Oh, I've got these, you know, so many problems. Or You're just not here. You know, you've been there sometimes. And some of you, you're thinking, this is pitiful. I mean, you're, you're on the other end. You're thinking, well, man, I, I don't even know why, we, why he's talking about this stuff. I mean, you, and, you know, you're thinking, you're making a mental list of things that you could do to improve me right there. Right? Amen? Amen. Thank you, Terry. Can I tell you that when you pray for me, when you come into this place and your heart's open and, and you're talking to God, when you pray for me, when I'm standing right here, it makes me better. So if I'm not preaching good, you know what I've determined? It's your fault. <laughs> Amen? Let's give ourselves a hand. And how much better would it be for you, instead of saying, you know, this stinks, I'm not going to pay any attention, or going home or going out there in the atrium and, and, and saying, boy, you know, that was, <laughs> that was a tough one to listen to. Amen. I mean, what, what's wrong with that guy? You know, how much better would it be for you to pray for me than to critique me? How much better would it be if, if you think youth ministry isn't what it should be, that you decide to volunteer and help make it better? Pray for Jeff and help make it better. You know, every so often somebody will come to me and complain about music every two days. It's loud, it's this, it's that, it's not what I grew up with. It's, you know, why do you give that guy a microphone? Sometimes I've heard. You know, how much better would it be to pray? God, somehow minister through those people. God, somehow allow me to get a grasp on what you're doing. We could go on and on and talk about every aspect of what happens in this church and value the power of prayer and having God in on 
every decision we make. Because we know that only God can make the difference between success and failure, between life's one for him and those who walk out of the church in disgust, between heaven and hell. Only God. Prayer's the tool that makes a difference in what happens here every day. Every day. Prayer's the hidden power behind the pulpit. Remember the name Charles Spurgeon, great pastor in England, who baptized, they say, more people in England than every other pastor of his time put together? Someone went to Charles Spurgeon and said to him, What's the difference? And matter of fact, it was kind of a, a smirky reporter. He said, you know, I've heard you preach and I've heard others preach. And your preaching is good, but it's not all that good, better than the others. Why are so many people coming? And Charles Spurgeon said every Sunday morning there are 50 men who are in the basement of this church. 50 men. Every time I preach who pray for what's happening upstairs. Fifty people. Fifty people. Prayer lightens the load. I want to read this passage to you. It's in Romans chapter 15. And you understand Paul's ministry. Uh, if you read the last part of the New Testament, was ripe with controversy and with struggles. Paul was snake bit, shipwrecked, imprisoned several times, persecuted every day. People would line up sometimes at the city gate to beat him senseless so he wouldn't come into their city. I could go on and on and talk about his ministry, and Satan's attack on him. Here's what he says. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, that my service may be acceptable to the saints that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. If you look closely at those words, you see there the desperate cry of a desperate man. Desperate cry of, of someone who, who has ministry in his heart and who has opposition at, at every turn. A desperate cry, play for me. Tell me that you are with me. He wants to know that those who dispatched him in ministry are on his side. Pray for me. You ever had a load that was too heavy? I, uh, suffice it to say in my life, that 2005, was a horrible year. 
January of that month, my father passed away. Uh, in February of that month, my mother was diagnosed with septic infection and came this close. Uh, a, a midnight surgery after a flight from Hillsborough to UC, if it would have happened an hour later, she would have died a month later to the day from my father. In May of that month, I was told that I had cancer and that it was the bad kind of cancer. And surgery was planned a week after I was diagnosed. The doctor started to talk to me, and, and many of you have had these same kind of conversations, so you get it, about if this goes well, you will live five years. If it doesn't go well, you won't. And none of the numbers sounded good at all to me. And so I began to pray and ask others to pray. Some people, when they get sick, they say, I don't want anybody to know. When I get sick, I want every single one of you and everybody else you know and people you don't know. I want you to stand on the corner and beg people to pray for me. Shoot a flare up. Pray for him. They took me to UC for the surgery. Surgery was supposed to be at 1 o'clock, 8 p.m. Because I was kind of shoved into the schedule, I was the last guy in. At 8 o'clock, they finally took me back. Seven hours on Valium is amazing, by the way. <laughs> Not really. Don't go home and try That's Cut that out of the tape, Pete. I'm going to tell you what happened that day. Because I had an interlude, a time of uh, respite between surgery happening and when it was supposed to happen earlier, I got to walk out into the waiting room at the UC hospital. There were 75 people there praying. They didn't all stay till the end, Dalgonum. <laughs> But they came. Can you imagine that? 75 people. When my load was too heavy to not only pray, but came with the power of their presence and wasn't really surprising to me that when they got the tumor out of there, it wasn't what they thought it was. <laughs> Took them about three weeks to figure out what it was. It was a desmoid tumor, a cancerous tumor that appears in adolescence. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Your load ever been too heavy, guys? Can I tell you, you were in a place this morning where people will pray for you 
and come alongside you when you open up and share what your burden is. Prayer protects you from the enemy and his predators. God places, the scripture says it this way, a hedge of protection around your heart. So, can I remind you again how important it is to pray for each other? How important it is to pray for me. For others in this church who are on the battlefield. Because if you want to see God do great things in the life of this church and in your life, if you want to be ministered to and loved and and encouraged, it starts with prayer. That's the tool. That's the tool for the job. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do during this invitation. If you want to, come to this altar. If you've never been to this altar and prayed, you would be amazed at what a freeing experience it is. Well, I want you to pray right there. If you're able to sing and pray together, do that. If you can't sing and pray, don't sing. And I want you to ask God to be a force in the life of this church in my life, in the life of others who are in leadership, and in your life. To be a powerful, undeniable force. It's the right tool for this job, isn't it? The right tool. Communion's available. Altars open. Prayers are being listened to and answered. Right here, right now, Let's see what God will do when a group of people lift one another up and touch heaven on each other's behalf. Father, thank you right here for what you have done and will do, for the times in this life that you've opened doors and you've ministered, for for those in this room right now who need salvation, who need to know they're headed to heaven, for those in this room right now who need a place to call home, a church where they can be loved and love others, a church where they can be prayed for and pray for others, Father, bring them to us right now. Father, for those in this place who, who are carrying a heavy burden today, Father, you know who they are right now. You, you know their hearts. A burden that's overwhelming. May they feel the relief that comes from your comfort, from your peace, from your grace right now. Right now. Let your spirit move in this place. Let Satan and his predators be thwarted, be destroyed, be hushed right now in Jesus' name.